Hi to all of you, I'm Anthony Scaramucci. I am the founder of Skybridge Capital, a global investment firm. Welcome to our podcast, which we're calling The Motivation Inside TMI. The reason we're doing TMI is to share with you the many faces of success because it ain't pretty. I also want to let you know how we got here because the truth is, while we all have greatness inside of us, how we go about achieving it, there's some ugly road in there. Success and failure in life are actually on a first name basis with each other, meaning that you've got to get through your failures to ultimately achieve your success. It's the person that can get knocked down, uh, pick themselves up, dust themselves off, get back into the game is the one that's ultimately going to be a success. This is part two with Bobby Valentine. We're going to be discussing success, adversity, dealing with failure, resiliency, all of the things that you need uh, to get you on the trajectory to reach your goals. At the age of 35, you become a Major League Baseball manager. Yeah. 1985. 1985, yeah. And that was, I don't know if that was luck or not, but I sat the bench when I was a New York Met player, and the guy that I sat next to often during the game was Tom Greve. Tom Greve sure. became the general manager of the Texas Rangers. He decided to fight it, fire his manager, and who did he ask? So he hires you. Who's owning the Texas Rangers at this time, Bob? Eddie Childs, a self-made billionaire but from Eddie, Oklahoma. Eddie's selling that team. Who's he sell it to? He sells it to George W. Bush and a group of bandits. I, I, I want you to be on my team. <laughs> and, and, and As they so, say down there, about 17 partners. If this were a dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> Just so long as I'm the dictator. <laughs> Now yeah. known as Bush 43, but George W. Bush at that time is the managing partner and face of that team, of that consortium of owners. Exactly. That uh, He made a great deal. Eddie only wanted to sell to a Texan. Yeehaw! He came up, came up big with Richard Rainwater as his partner. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Roland Betts and Tommy Bernstein, sure. who are down here in Chelsea Piers, were his partners. He had a he's had a, had a who's who. So, uh, so he uh, comes he comes in. You're doing yeah. very well. You're getting rid up in Sports Illustrated. Young whiz kid manager. Yeah. You hit a rough spot. Yeah, it's I did it for seven and a half years. It's the All Star Game break. At least it's 1992. Yeah. And tell our listeners and viewers. Your success is now curving towards failure again. You get a call from who, Bobby? Yeah, I get a call from George W. Uh, actually, the first call was from Tom Grieve, who says said that George wanted to talk to me. And I said, I'd rather not talk over the phone because I knew what was happening. And I went in, and uh, yeah. And he decided I shouldn't manage anymore. I don't want you to let me down again. So I got fired for the first time in my professional life. Uh, a second time, actually, I got fired from a men's store when I was uh, 16 years old. They found me sleeping in the back room. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I right. wasn't selling a lot so of clothes at the time. If my son Anthony is listening to that. He was sleeping after hours, Anthony. Okay, now let's go back to our regular programming. You're fired. Yeah. You're now out of a job. You got yes. a couple restaurants. What are you going to do now, Bob? Well, now I'm going to work the restaurants and figure out how it is that I'm going to become a better manager the next time I'm asked to manage. Because, uh, you know, it was a seven-year learning process. I had never managed before. 
I thought I was pretty good, but I think I made some mistakes along the way, and now I was going to try to uh, improve that. And at 42, 3, 4, 5, somewhere along the way, I'm going to become a major league manager again. So, so you, But I'm doing both at the time. You, I'm doing you, my restaurants. You, you, yeah. So this is a big lesson for listeners and viewers. You're down on your luck. You're, you're scraping bottom in terms of your baseball managerial career. But in the back of your mind, you're feeling this resiliency. You're feeling that you're going to manage again. Yes, I saw myself managing so, again. So we, I just didn't know where. We have, we have Robert from Tennessee that's actually sent in an e email to our show. I love He's Robert asking me right now, Bobby. Come on, you, bro. Bobby, will you manage again? Uh, this time around, I, I think my, um, my toolbox is about as full as it could be. Um, and I'm not sure that, um, that that toolbox is what's needed at the major league level. If someone needed it, someone for a couple months, you know, something happened and they still think so they have a chance. a restructuring chance. story, slide yourself in I think I could probably there. do it again, but I don't think I could do the full commitment thing. So we're going we're gonna to fast forward here for a second. Okay, so now you go from, from that situation. Dallas Green is managing the Mets. Right, then. You're, you're, yeah. you're, couple years later now. Couple years yeah. later now. You're working in minor league baseball yes. for the Mets. Yes. You take over mid-season 1996 for Dallas Green? Uh, yes. Okay, so now you're managing the Metropolitan Baseball Club, a uh, storied franchise in New York. The team's not doing so well. How do you go from 1996, which I would call mediocrity, to 1999 playoffs, 2000 World Series? Yeah, that, that was an organization that needed a lot of work, and I was ready for the challenge. Remember, one, one thing is, I did go to Japan, and I was the manager in Japan in this interlude between uh, 92 and 96. So which team were you? And I was which, with the Chibalote Marines there. The ones that you ultimately go back to, right? Ultimately, I go back to them after I leave the Mets, incredibly. Yeah. And, and so this is another lesson for you, as you learn the culture there? Um, the first time through, I was just going to be the American who knew everything and was there to teach. Uh, I managed in the city here for about seven and a half, eight years, went back to Japan, and when I went back, I was there to learn. And uh, when, I, when I went back, it was much more successful. So, you, so, so your, your, your big message to people is be a good listener, uh, be in a learning position at all aspects of your life, don't be a know-it-all. Is that fair? Absolutely. And learn to adjust, that, that you have to adapt. If, if you become 50 years old and all of a sudden you're a minority and you're living in a country that has 98% one nationality and you're the protruding nail that's in the highway, you all of a sudden have a different perspective on life and how to give and take. Big lessons here. Let's go to the Mets. It's 96. Yes. Uh, you're going to get to the World Series in 2000. You're going to get to the playoffs in 99. Yes. Take us through how you get there. Boy, I don't know. It was a lot of luck. <laughs> no, actually, we, we made some uh, interesting moves. We built an infield. Uh, at the time, uh, we thought we could win with fundamentals. At least I thought. I thought if you had great defense and decent pitching and give me enough of so the one bullpen. of those teams had the lowest errors in that season right was that the 99 season or the 2000 season? yeah 99 season we had uh, 
a spectacular infield. One of the best that I ever played with. Ventura at third, Ordonez at short, Alfonso at second, and John Olerud at first. Yeah. The, they were all four gold glovers. Right, and yeah. so, so, so another big lesson here about fundamentals that a lot of times it's not the home runs that really make the big success, but it's the, it's the base hits, yeah. it's the playing the position properly, hitting cutoff people, uh, and for those of you that are not sports metaphor people, it's just about doing the right things consistently, not having to do anything too stupendously. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair, and being prepared to do it. That, you know, if, if when you go to work, if you're prepared, when you're going to that interview, if you're prepared, there's a very good chance you're going to do a good job. And if you go out on the field and you're prepared on who the team is you're playing, you know, conditions of the field, conditions of the sky, the wind, the rain, the scoreboard. If you're prepared, when that ball is hit to you, you probably do the right thing. So, Carl from Hartford, he's asking you, uh, you were fired three times in the major leagues, twice in Japan. Uh, first time I wasn't fired. First time yeah, you weren't fired. Right. Okay, so you were let go? Uh, or first, you walked away? The first time... The Mets called me in August and said, can you get out of your contract? And I said, no. And then they said, get out of your contract. We're going to give you the job. And I said, you sure? And they said, yeah, I got out of my contract, came back, and they gave me the job, the AAA job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So they yeah. forced you into, that was a little, yeah, so so I left, forced you into a patient's I box. I left where I was. I asked them if I could leave because yeah. there was this you know, life life's dream yeah, job of course managing in New York and they were they were they had empathy they well, understood we won't tell any we leave. won't tell any of the Met fans that you got raised in Connecticut and were a Yankee fan we're going to leave that, <gasps> leave that out, out of the leave podcast that okay. <laughs> you were fired three so, times in yes. the major leagues twice in Japan based on your experience this is Carl in Hartford yeah, yeah. how do you suggest or what do you suggest is the best way to handle something like that you know, it, it's cliche-ish, but when one door closes, another one opens. If you think of opportunity presenting itself when you no longer have to do what you were doing the day before. There's a little bit of relief huh? in that, isn't it? There's a little yeah. relief. There's yeah. a little, there's, there's all those things. There's disappointment, there's, uh, there's a self-confidence thing, why me? Why Self-loathing, exactly. self-doubt. Somebody else's fault, you know, and the blame game. And, and, and you could live in that world, but I always choose not to live in that world. I say, well, I'm, I'm gone. I'm gone from Texas. Something good's going to happen. I'm going to make something happen. I'm gone from New York. I'll make something happen. I was gone from Japan. I'll make something happen. And I was gone... From Boston, I'm making things happen. And uh, I think that idea of re recreating yourself, too, and you said uh, becoming, learning the culture. I had to learn the Texas culture. I had to learn the Boston culture. Wicked smart. I had to learn the Japanese culture. Konnichiwa. My three jobs. And, uh, you know, it, it was fun, but you have to adapt. So so what, what motivates you? Boy, you know... It, it's a burning desire to uh, have a good day, you know? Like, my, my buddy Tommy Pachorek and I were rookies together in 1968. Before the game, we would say to each other, let's play this one like it's the last game we're ever going to play. And we did that every game of our career that we played together, and then we would do it to other guys when we weren't together, huh? 
that idea of playing the game, like it's the last game you're ever going to play, is a cool idea. That's what I do when I wake up in the morning. How do you, you know? and in that process, there's great learning lessons there. In that process, how do you manage the fear of it all? Okay, so that fear is one of those things. I believe that one of the fears, whether you're a little leaguer or you're wearing a tie to work every day, is the um, fear of failure. Okay, and um, you know, then there's that fear of of physically getting injured. Okay, that's one of those fears that you could deal with. I'm going to be careful. The idea of fear of failure deals with what other people are thinking about you. And that's about reputation, right? Maybe, so there's, right? A, there's a self-conscious aspect to it. It's like, my yeah. God, what are people going to think of me now that I'm not doing well? Exactly. You know. Standing at the plate and hitting the ball when you're in Little League, that pressure is because they want to please. Right. There's someone in the stands that they want to please, and that fear of failure really is saying, I'm fear that they're not going to love me. Right. Like me, care for me, right. give me a raise, whatever the situation do, is, right? Do you ever give uh, it up? Can anyone ever really give it up? We can manage it better. As we get older, we start to, start to realize absolutely. that it doesn't matter as much as we thought it did as younger people. But can you ever completely give it up? Okay. Uh, probably not. As you get older, I think you do learn better. But w what that is... And you know it as well as I do, is the difference between reputation and character. You know, that reputation is what other people are thinking about your character. It's what you're thinking about yourself. Well, you have to really build on the character side. And you when want, I was young, I you can guarantee that, you. You want that spread to narrow, though, don't you? Where you want yes. your character to be your reputation. It, exactly. And it will always be there. That idea of reputation will always be there. Uh-huh. Sure. You're worrying about what they think sure. and that fear of failure. But the more you build on yourself, the less you're worried about that. But I also yeah. think as you get closer to that point where you're caring less, you're more comfortable with the fear of failure. You're more comfortable sure. with the acceptance of failure and then the adaptation away from failure. And so you can get your head knocked in a few times and step out of it and say it's okay. When I got fired from Goldman Sachs, I remember the day, February 1st, 1991, it was one of the most humiliating days of my life. Not just because I had gotten fired, I had financial anxiety, but what was I gonna say to my peer group? I wanted to be Joe Cool to my sure. peer group. Now sure. I had to walk around right. with my buddies from Harvard Law School or people at Goldman Sachs, and I can remember the look of pity. Aww. That so many of the people that I was working with at Goldman said, thank God it's not me, right. pal. Right. Uh, you know, I feel bad for you, right. sort of, but then you get that schadenfreude, which is you get pleasure from other people's pain or pain from other people's pleasure. And so I had all of that anxiety to deal with. However, that firing, Bobby, in my opinion, it prepared me for entrepreneurship. Isn't it great you used the word it prepared you? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing that starts to diminish the fear of failure. Yeah, you know, you, you could go out in the backyard the by yourself and there's no fear of failure. Or you can practice. You can become more prepared for the next time you're at that, for the next time you're doing your gig, and then you have less fear of failure. So let, 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 let's go. I'm going to ask you to be somewhat self-evaluative. Let's talk about yes. Bobby 
Valentine, <laughs> the manager. Okay. What would you say? Step out of yourself for a second. Bobby the Valentine. Manager the manager in, in the dugout manager? Yeah. In the clubhouse manager? <sighs> okay. Uh, I was prepared. I love being prepared. Pre understanding the opposition and understanding the game that might occur was what I enjoyed most, okay, about doing everything. So that you could go through the whole game and never be surprised. That's the, that's the gig. Mm -hmm. huh? And then to know your people and know their people. But know your people so that they can be successful mm -hmm. somehow, some, mm -hmm. some way with my direction. Well, a couple of your players that I've had the opportunity to spend some time with, like a Johnny Franco or Rob Ventura, they said during that playoff run, uh, in the media glare, the media pressure in New York was such on the players that sometimes you would divert the oh, media yeah. and take the attention away from them to you. They were very, very grateful for that. Well, was they, the, they the, kind of got it after a while. Yeah, it's I think it was necessary with our team because our team was always the team that the press wanted to hammer and did it easily, did it at the first sight, you know. And so, you know, we had some whipping boys, and mm -hmm. I had to uh, make sure that Armando could come to the ballpark the next day and not be, uh, mm -hmm. you know, So this would be shot. Armando Benitez yeah. who once in a while got himself emotional in the ninth inning as your closer. As everyone does, but he was sure. as good a pitcher as I ever had. He had some what heat. He bad threw, luck. He threw, he threw <laughs> some terrific heat. Yeah. So, so let's now ask about Bobby Valentine, yeah. the player. Okay, so anyway, I was prepared as a manager, and I, was, I cared about the guys and their success. I was too emotional at times with umpires. Strike three, you're out! And I was too emotional at times with the press. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so fair enough. Me. And as a player, I never got thrown out of the game as a player. I, the umpires were my best friends, so I was different. Mm -hmm. But I was always prepared. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to know the opposition, and uh, I knew what I could do with it. Mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're gonna, we're going to go back to management for a second, you mm -hmm. being the manager, Harry in Dallas. He says, you know, for me... Uh, Bobby, you'll, you'll, you'll be remembered for so many things, but one of the funnest things that you'll be remembered for <laughs> is that you came back into the dugout after getting thrown out as a manager. You put on a Groucho Marx uh, mask or a uh, <laughs> nose and glasses, and you snuck back into the dugout, a result of which you got suspended and fined by Major League Baseball. But you're a very clever yeah. guy, and Harry is writing, what, there was obviously a strategy there, so what was it? <laughs> Levity was the number one strategy. We, our team was very tense at the time. And um, three days prior, three of my coaches were fired. There was an edict mm -hmm. made by me that if we didn't go 40 and 15 in the next yeah. 55 games, I'll leave also. Okay, so so it was I, a little tense. You and, I were, tense. you and I were super close back yeah. then. It was the 2000 uh, uh, season. I remember the coaches getting fired. They swapped out some of the hitting coach, pitching coach, guys, et cetera. Right. Uh, you, you basically said after one of the games, we're going to need a 40 and 15 run. What did you get? Well, we were 39 and 15 okay. going into that last day because it was the last day for me because I told the press, in particular one member of the press, when he challenged me that if we didn't go 40 and 15, I would quit. And before that game, he put his head in, the, in my office and he said, I hope this is your last day. 
So it was really yeah, a fun no, day for me. No, it was one of those really fun no, days. No love lost yeah. there, but yeah, what yeah. happened? Tell, what tell happened our guys is, what happened. Uh, in, in that game, um, we came out victorious. <laughs> and you could Google this stuff now. We were 40 and 15. And I still wasn't going to get uh, total acknowledgement until we got to the playoffs, but we did. Right. And yeah. then you beat you beat the Giants. You went on to beat St. Louis. Yeah. And then you were up against the Yankees in the first Subway Series in how many years, Bob? Yeah. Well, you know, it was the only one the Mets have ever been in with the Yankees. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, once the Dodgers left in 57 and the Giants in 58, there was no chance of a Subway Series until the Mets came around in 62. So um, it was it was a special, special time. It was uh, it, it was New York at its finest. Everyone was into baseball, and it was baseball at its finest. So before I let you go, I want to talk about mm. another moment in New York baseball history, mm. uh, which is uh, near and dear to my heart. That would be the 21st of September, 2001. Uh, the 9-11 the attacks uh, taking place 10 days earlier. Uh, the U.S. US uh, stock market closed uh, for that week, reopens Monday the 17th. Uh, Major League Baseball is closed down in New York for 10 days. Uh, the F-16s are up in the air over New York City airspace. Uh, we're, we're having a ceremony at Shea Stadium for first responders, which include the NYPD, NYFD, the EMS services. Port uh, Authority. The Port Authority. Uh, we have been devastated, 28, 2,900 people killed in the attack. Uh, there's a very special, prayerful moment before that game you're playing the Braves. You know, we've talked about this. Yeah. A lot of people did not want to be in New York during that situation. Oh, most. And, and no one wanted to come to New York and play baseball a few miles from an airport. And it was understandable. It was The conversation started about the 15th, about four or five days after the, the attack. Are we going to play? Are we going to play in New York? Mm -hmm. Is the season going to be resumed at all for the team? So that that, that was the question. That, that week, I remember you at Shea Stadium collecting food, uh, clothing, uh, all different types of care packages yeah. for victims and the victims' families, and shipping them out to the to the to the people. Yeah, with your all, players. Actually, we were actually bringing a lot of it down to most of it at the time, at, at the beginning, down to ground zero because they were working 24-7 in that soot, in that rut, and trying to make caves to find hopelessly yeah, see, see to if, see if they can pull one A, a survivor of two exactly. from the rubble. And okay. so the the eyewash, the jeans, there were hose setups uh, downtown where guys would just come and get hosed off and we'd bring new t-shirts and new jeans and and put them back in and then they go it was a remarkable situation and going down and and trying to facilitate that about the third day or maybe the fourth day is where the wearing of the cap idea came in of the NYPD NYFD and others that we wore on the 21st um, of September. Okay, so you're going to return to play baseball. Uh, and, and you and I have talked about this, where sports in our country, in our society, part of our culture 
it, it, it's almost a leading indicator of the future, okay? Jackie Robinson uh, comes into Major League Baseball, breaks the color barrier on the 15th of April, 1947. He is the precursor for Martin Luther King uh, 15 to 18 years later in the Civil Rights Movement. We gotta get life back to normal for the United States and for the city of New York. You're gonna play a ball game Describe the atmosphere for the players, yourself, the tension in the stadium. Well, first, and you've had a lot since then, when we were in the parking lot and we were talking and I was loading those trucks and doing the things, the question from me to you was, should we play in New York? Yeah, I remember that. Should we play in New yeah. York? And you were adamant. We must play in New no York. New, New same, York has same, to same have Same reason these. why we had to get the trading uh, open at exactly. the New York Stock Exactly. You were And, with, and the guys at Sandler O'Neill, I can remember your best friend, Bob Castrognano, going over there to volunteer yeah. for them. And I can yeah. remember being in that uh, Bank America Crisis Center at a desk operating. Makeshift makeshift debt yeah. to get the trades up yeah. and running. We did not need to let anybody know that we were going to stand down from yes. this sort of an event. It, it, that's That was your mentality. I believed it was mine also. I don't know if it was contagious, but I know that I didn't sleep many of those nights, but I wanted but to we were get... All, we were all in I, tremendous pain. There's we no were, question about pain that. Pain and fear. And fear. That yep. we never remember, really knew what's going to happen next. That's I remember what I the big debate about. in my family about bringing my sons to that game. Yes. Uh, and I also brought some of the children of some of the victims yes. up into the suite at, at, at Shea Stadium remember at that well. time. Okay, and so you helped st start Tuesday Children, remember? We, we, we did the all victim. the Sandler O'Neill Assistance Foundation, yeah. so, all that Eddie, sort of yes, stuff. Yes, that was so now we're there, we're at the so game. Now there's give the us, game. Give us, yeah. the, give us what happened. Well, you know, we get to the ballpark and, you know, the dogs are sniffing everything that, that's tied down and moving. There's a uh, uh, hundred thousand uniform uh, people, it seemed anyway, uh, surrounding the entire stadium and inside the locker rooms. So it was the most different feeling of a game before it started that I ever experienced. And then there was this thing where Bobby Cox and I, I had called him and I asked him if we could embrace before the game. Bobby being the manager, manager of the Atlanta, Atlanta Braves. Braves my hated rival. Right. You know, we, right. I mean, we were like this Mets, every year we ever Mets ever and Braves. Mets and Braves. And, and Bobby and I are very competitive people and we weren't real friendly, if you will. But at this time, we decided that before the game, we wanted to show that we were in it together, that we were Americans. We did play this game against each other, but we were in New York City to do something together to show that baseball's back and we're not going to back down. And he did that and all of, the players all did a slap of five before the game, little hug, which was really symbolic, symbolically cool, but never done before. So never so, in a major so league super, game. Super, emo yeah. super yeah. emotional. Yes. We're losing two one. It's uh. the bottom of the eighth inning. Yeah. Your all star catcher yeah. is coming to the plate. Yeah, Steve Carsey's on the mound, who had a nasty slider, a very good fast fastball. Mike had already gotten two hits in that game. And uh, up well, until the then, best clutch players that the Mets had it, ever it had. Just real quickly, up until then, the feeling of that game was was an out-of-body experience. No one really knew how to embrace this baseball game. The fans and the announcers, 
and the players and the umpires. Everyone was very timid, kind of looking around, didn't know if you should get emotional, be happy, be sad, yell at the other guys, argue a strike call. Everyone's kind of going through the motions until the pitch was made by Carsey to Mike Piazza. Well, so Mike crushes it. <laughs> he crushes it. We go up 3-2. Yeah. And the world changes. The fans change. The players change. Everyone's on their feet. Everyone's hugging each other. Um, I, th I think there were players in the other dugout that were excited that Mike hit that home run. No because they felt the symbolic nature mm -hmm. of that act that they were watching. The suspension system at Shea Stadium was creepy. <laughs> remember, remember that? Oh, God. Remember the bounce in that system? You remember, remember how the second so, and third decks yeah, were no, rocking no and rolling? And so oh, so, so the, there was the metaphor for me. There was the symbolism. An unspeakable tra tragedy. We're talking about success and failure, dealing with adversity. We are living with the pain and trauma of real death and tragedy, uh, but we have to teach our children to get up, dust ourselves off, get yeah. back into the batter's box. Uh, and there's the biggest metaphor, uh, the most symbolism that I think any of us have experienced in New York, particularly right after 9-11. He crushes the ball. Uh, and so uh, for me, uh, when I think about that day and I thought about the jersey being in flux, and Mike getting into the Hall of Fame this year, uh, a group of us got together to purchase that jersey to ensure that it's in the public domain uh, forever uh, and it'll get rotated through these museums uh, so children can see that and have that, that feeling. What are your thoughts about the jersey? Well, the jersey is as symbolic a baseball piece uh, I feel as there there is out there. You know, there are a few of them, um, but people who are baseball fans and those who are not, 15 years later, tell me exactly where they were when it happened. It was the same type of thing. They remember when they were where they were when the towers were attacked. They remember where they were when Kennedy was shot. They even my lifetime remember where they were the old timers when Bobby Thompson hit the home run sure. against my father in law Ralph. October of fifty one. Right, October third, nineteen fifty one. A giant Dodger, you know, playoff game. Um, but this moment with Mike swinging will be remembered the same way as some of the worst things that have ever happened and some of the best things that ever happened. And people know where they were when it did. Any last messages for our, our uh, viewers? Well, Listeners. you know, only that you, you control your happiness, you know, and, and you're the one in charge. If you want to put your the metal to the, the, the pedal, uh, and be happy, it's your choice. I want to thank Bobby V for joining us today on TMI. Been a sensational opportunity. I hope you'll come back. Uh, we got many more podcasts to do, and I, need I know your, it was too I long, need your, but uh, I need your energy. I, I need can't, your help. I can't and, give and, those and, short no, answers no, no, to the it. questions. I love it. Whether you figure out how to fail easily, remember to embrace and learn from it. We are all here on this earth to make our very own mark but we have to decide what that mark is. Remember to email us at podcast at skybridgeinsights.com. 
You can follow me on Twitter at, at Scaramucci. Bobby, what's your handle on at, Twitter? At Bobby Valentine. At Bobby Valentine. Until next time, have a prosperous week. Thank you.